Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Creative Psychopaths. It's just me at the top of the show asking you again, begging and pleading for you to rate and review the podcast wherever you can and share it with your friends and your countrymen and anyone you see. Um, This week we're talking to Nick about uh, his horror history and a lovely old film called Theatre of Blood which was an absolute delight. Um, so yeah, before we get into this, don't forget, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you hear intro music, is it not the start of a podcast? Welcome to another episode of Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast, where each week I talk to a guest about their history with horror movies and a movie of their choice, with a couple of fun questions at the end, creating a delightful horror sandwich. This week I'm joined by Nick, who I'm going to say hello to now. Hello, Nick. Hi there, Mark, and thank you for having me on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. It's uh, always nice to talk to people about horror movies, and uh, usually someone gives me a bit of an education about these things. Um <laughs> So, um, but without further ado, let's get started on these questions that I have on my phone somewhere. Right. Uh, so, what is the first horror movie you can remember seeing? Oh, that is a very good question. I'm, it's not exactly a horror movie as such, but my experience with horror really started with a, a Macaulay Culkin film called Page Master. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> I remember vividly being uh, absolutely terrified by, I believe it was Leonard Nimoy's portrayal of uh, Dr. Jekyll. Right. I must admit, I think I've seen that one, but the actual movies beyond me, all I remember is that he gets sucked into a book and books are his friends. <laughs> Pretty much. It's basically encouraging kids to read. Yeah, yeah. And did they? We don't know. um so so that scared the life out of you then yeah it was a it was a a bit of a weird one to be fair and then i started developing my horror taste from there i I read a lot of horror uh by the age of like 12 i was reading like stephen king and hp lovecraft oh wow yeah cool Um, and then I started dipping my toes into actual horror movies. So that's when you became a horror fan then, would you say, around sort of 12 years old or younger than that? Uh, Probably a bit younger than that, yeah. Such films as the old Universal horror classics. Yeah, yeah. So Creature of the Black Lagoon, Dracula, Frankenstein... Oh yeah, absolute absolute classics. Um, I not long ago bought a Blu-ray of all those movies. Well, it's like a Blu-ray set, and it came with postcards of all the uh, those characters. So it was really cool. Mm, I, I have a similar say. It's not on Blu-ray; it's on DVD. And I remember picking it up in MVC, which uh, might uh, trigger a few older memories to some of your listeners. And it comes with three busts of Lon Chaney as the Wolfman, uh, Boris Karloff as Frankenstein, and Bela Lugosi as Dracula. Wow, that sounds awesome. That sounds like a good set. Right, so the next question on this is, what is the scariest horror movie? It all depends on what you define as scary. Well, I guess it's what you find scary. (laughs) For me, it's psychological horror mm-hmm. psychological horror can really get under my skin sometimes and I have to be in the mood to watch it right so what kind of scares me more is what's not there rather than 
what is. Yeah. Uh, is there a specific movie that you would have in mind that you would pick out as being the scariest of that genre? To be honest, uh, not on the top of my head. Hmm. Uh, I can't really think of one off the top of my head. Um, it's uh, been a while since I've uh, sat down and watched anything too psychological. Right, okay. Um, so what is the best kill in a horror movie? Ah, right. Not many people enjoy this film, and I'm sure somebody's already brought it up. The liquid nitrogen kill in Jason X. Yeah, no, no, nobody's brought that one up yet. <laughs> Not surprising. Yeah, the liquid nitrogen—it's it, practical effects at its best. Yeah, you know, you're right. That is an absolutely great death. Uh, I, I mean, I'd say Friday the 13th is probably my favourite franchise, and uh, Jason X gets a lot of shit, but. Personally, I think it's all right, <laughs> and that is a standout. That is a standout bit. It's a good popcorn horror movie. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's not the best. It does get unnecessarily crapped upon. To be fair, yeah, it's it's quite. As I remember, there's a lot of puns in it as well. Mm. <laughs> but uh, close second in that movie is the uh, double sleeping bag beatdown. Oh yes, of course, because he gets uh, he gets sort of enters some sort of hollow deck, as I recall. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, why not? Well, the first sleeping bag death was a good one, so why not? Why not do a double? <laughs> so, what movie? What horror movie has standout effects? Then, um, I mean, it sounds to me like you're a practical effects man, which is good for me. I'm happy with that. Uh, I really like my practical effects, and um, uh, as you say, the Friday the Thirteenth series is. Paramount at that, mm, yeah, as is right now. Oh, but yeah, practical effects I've always seen as the way forward, yeah. I mean, CGI is good, uh, but um, if I'm liking CGI these days, it's more along the lines of filling in the gaps, right? So to speak, yeah, 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 yeah. so just enhancing what's already there with practical effects. I mean, uh, films like The Babysitter on Netflix. Mm-hmm. That, that they, they've been uh, bringing back practical effects quite well. And uh, recently I've watched uh, Fresh on Disney+. Plus. Oh, right. I've been meaning to get round to it. I haven't got round to it yet. Are they, are they... No spoilers for me, but it's very good. Are they standout effects? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it, they're very subtly done. Mm-hmm. Very subtly done, considering the, the subject genre. No spoilers. If you're going to go and watch it, you're going to go and watch it. Yeah. I mean, if if you had to pick, if you had to pick some, like uh, you know, if you specifically went, "Wow, that's amazing!" What, what, where would you land on that? Do you think the iconic Friday the Thirteenth film, the first one with the arrowhead? Yeah, that's really great. That's uh, Tom Savini at his best. Mm. Uh, very young Kevin. Maybe not at his best, but it's certainly uh, it's certainly amazing. Um, yeah, good. Um, right now, what's a movie that needs a sequel, or movies that need to stop making sequels? Or if you've got for both, that's fine. I think we've had enough screen movies. Oh right, okay. I honestly think that. Uh, there's probably been enough Texas Chainsaw Massacre films. All, all the big franchises are really starting to get a bit stale these days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Scream's an interesting one. I don't think many people would have picked the Scream one because, I, I mean, my opinion is that it, they try to evolve with time, or at least the newest one did. Perhaps the third and fourth ones weren't great, but... Oh, the third one was dreadful. Yeah, yeah. But um, I haven't seen the newest one yet, I will be honest. All right, okay. Um, yeah, but as far as Texas Chainsaw Massacre ones are concerned, you're absolutely right. That Netflix one recently was god awful. I can't bring myself to watch it. To be fair. Yeah, no, well, I mean, not spoilers really for that, but uh, effects wise and kills wise, it's fine, but it adds nothing to the franchise at all. It just adds nothing, but you know, okay. Um, so what stands out as your favorite franchise then? Hellraiser. Hellraiser, really? Uh, mm, I've always been a big fan of Clive Barker. Yeah. Um, the first, well, 
mainly the first three Hellraiser films, the fourth one's still pretty good, are exceptionally great. Yeah. You've got a really kind of primordial uh, demonic force as the villain who doesn't really care if you're good or not. You've opened the box. Yeah, you're a target. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, it's... Um... Like you say, a primordial force. It's, no, it's sort of no evil to him, really. It's just, um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, uh, a close second would be the Phantasm series. Yeah, yeah. A fan, um, I, I think I've, I've say, I haven't seen them all, I must admit. I've seen the first one, but I haven't seen them all. Um, I've seen a lot of the Hellraiser films, and uh, f- for me, I mean, obviously it's all personal choice, but for me... Only the first one of those that is the one, I, the only one I like, because the rest of them, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of. But like I say, each their own. You choose what you want. That's fair. Um, so, what's the worst horror movie you've seen? Right. Well, there's a couple, but one that instantly comes to mind is a film called The Convent. Mm, I can't say I've seen that one. I remember picking it up. Uh, I was in my early 20s. I picked it up in a DVD bin for about 50p and I still think I paid too much for it. <laughs> it the basic premise is um, in a convent who went mad and killed all the nuns and then a group of stereotypical, unlikable teenagers yeah. uh, with no character whatsoever end up trying to go into this decayed convent one of them gets kidnapped, used by this horrific, um, apparently satanic cult leader, gets murdered, and then turns, uh, raises all the nuns, dead nuns, as, as uh, demons. Right. When you have... It sounds good. LL Cool J. When you have LL Cool J, of all people, being top billing, and he only plays... A policeman for a grand total of a minute and a half. All right, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's oh. it sounds good on paper, but it was obviously sucked. <laughs> oh, but the um the big bad satanic leader comes in with your menacing, mm. looks at his victim, looks at his followers, and then in the highest pitch squeaky voice goes, "I have arrived." <laughs> oh. It sounds awful. <laughs> oh, it is. Absolute dribble. Save yourself. Do not watch it. It's an hour and a half of my life. I cannot get back. Well, let's get the terrible taste of that out of your mouth then and go on to what is your favourite horror movie? Ah. Uh, now, uh, I'm a big fan of the classics. And a particular favourite of mine is The Theatre of Blood with Vincent Price. Oh, okay. Which is the movie we're going to be talking about. We won't talk too much about that then, because we're gonna we're gonna deep dive into that now. So, for those of you listening, that's the first slice of bread in the horror sandwich. So now we need to get into the filling, which is the movie, um, which, as Nick just said, is uh, the Theatre of Blood, which is a 1973 British horror movie, originally titled Much Ado About Murder. Apparently, um, it were it was directed by. Douglas Hitchox, <laughs> uh, starring Vincent Price as Edward Lionheart, Diana Rigg as Edwina Lionheart, Ian Hendry as Peregrine Devlin, or Perry as he's mostly called, and Milo O'Shea as Inspector Boot. There is quite a large cast in this, but I didn't um, write down all the cast names. Now, normally I would dip a little bit into the budget, but um, I couldn't really find anything about it. And I guess... It, it may have been, you know, a lot of sort of limited release at the time, or I don't really know. Um, so I couldn't find budget or box office on this one, unless you know anything about it. Not off the budget or the box office off the top of my head. I know that it was a, it was very much a passion yeah, project yeah. for Vincent Christ. Yes, yes, I, I read that because he'd been wanting to do Shakespeare for quite some time, and this gave him um, an opportunity to yes. do a lot of that. What I will say about this movie before I go in to the people who listen, and I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't normally review anything before I've gone through the plot breakdown, but if you haven't seen this movie, you should. And I would suggest almost listening, watching it before you listen to this. But, you know, that's up to you. The only other sort of fact that I found about this is apparently it was made into a stage play as well um, with, um, oh, do you know what yes. I had there? Jim Broadbent, which uh, would have been really good to see, actually. Um, as I understand it, the, the stage play was only one single set, which was the theatre the whole time. And uh, I, the uh, the cast of the League of Gentlemen also swear by this movie, and they actually, if you've got the Blu-ray release of the film, they do a, a commentary all about the film. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I must admit I watched it on Amazon Prime, so I didn't get any of those extra features. Um, but... I'd never, I'd never heard of it until you, until you mentioned it. So, it's wonderfully tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, it's. Um, well, let's get into the movie because I'm going to basically do a rundown of the plot. So we get a sort of silent movie opening, which presumably is silent movie filming of Shakespeare plays. It has good music, which I enjoyed. And then the opening scene is we get a character called George Maxwell. He gets a police call and he has to go deal with some squatters. His wife says, don't leave. Uh, she's had a dream about lions, but he goes, no, I'm all right. I'm leaving. When he gets to the place where the squatters are, the police lead him in, in and he's like, oi, come on, you squatters, fuck off. And they go, no, fine. Uh, <laughs> they all have knives, it seems. Uh, it, the police suddenly do nothing. There's quite an intimidating chasing mm. here. Did you do you think it's like it's it's got a weird pack mentality to it? Like um, the way that they chase him down without actually touching him. The moment, the moment that one squatter just literally just cracks a bottle effort, effortlessly and just stares. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. It's quite intimidating that whole bit. And then they do give him a bit of stabby mm. time though. And then while he's dead slash dying the policeman recites from julius caesar um i should say going into this that um basically every scene is based off shakespeare um so yeah he recites from julius caesar and he says um oh that's right sorry uh, i don't know why i've got this he says he says it basically says you're not a, you're not a policeman and i thought you were dead and he goes he says it is you who are dead but you're dead no no, another critical miscalculation on your part, dear boy. I am well. It is you who are dead. <laughs> I really liked as a line. And <laughs> um, um, and the the shot there of the camera just focusing on the blood and George Maxwell dripping yeah. slowly in, down the wooden grate. Is a brilliant it's shot. It's excellent. Um, I will say that Vincent Price is brilliant in this, and he, he eats up every scene. Like, um, oh, he, he's he's absolutely amazing in this. Uh, he does a little bit more Caesar while removing his sort of policeman costume, as it were. The the homeless folk think Vincent Price is great, and so do we. Mm. So. It turns out that George Maxwell was some kind of critic, a theatre a theater critic, sorry. Um, we skip to a critic's meeting in which he's missing. Uh, they f find out that he is dead. Devlin, who I shall now call him, Perry Devlin, I'll call him Devlin for the rest of it, he has to go identify the body. And while they do, they find an, a Lionheart, an Edward Lionheart poster for Julius Caesar. Now, let's see. We sort of cut to uh, another critic, Hector Snipe, and he enters the theatre and we hear a monologue from Trollius and Cressida. Look, Hector, how the sun begins to set, how ugly night comes breathing at his heels. 
even with the violent darkening of the sun, to close the day up, Hector's life is done. A lot. I must admit, this film's given me a bit of a Shakespeare ed- education because I only knew a handful of his plays. All throughout this, Lionheart has like a little beardy mate who is an intriguing character. Yes, indeed. Let's see. Lionheart and Snipe share a conversation about uh, Snipe's criticism of his um, thing. He says, why didn't you give me the Critics Award? And he gets a little intimidated, but the little beardy mate says, don't worry, you're among friends. But then he's not. He gets speared right through the heart. At Maxwell's funeral, Lionheart is sitting on a grave and quotes Hamlet. It's a really odd moment. Like, it just really stands out because it's like, there's something about that that scene that's um, sort of eerie and intimidating. It doesn't fit, you know. <laughs> it doesn't fit in with anything. It 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 it, it it's um really great. Fun fact: uh, Vincent Price did all of his own makeup for this. Film. Did he? Now that's interesting. Yeah, he did. Because and his makeup's amazing. Like a proper old school uh, theatre performer. Yeah, it, and his makeup all the way through it is amazing. Mm. At this point, during the funeral, uh, Snipe's body is dragged in by a horse. And someone asks the question, is someone trying to kill us all? And clearly they are. Um, <laughs> we get a little bit more of the other critics. Uh, there's a man with dogs who we'll get to later, who uh, is quite, yes. an amusing, quite an amusing <laughs> character. Uh, Devlin, while we're there, spots Lionheart's daughter. Uh, and she's at her father's tomb. And what a tomb it is, eh? Mm. <laughs> Very elaborate. Possibly the most... Very elaborate too, <laughs> um, and they. She goes, "Hey, he's dead," which, as far which we know, he's not. <laughs> Next thing we open in on quotes from Cymbeline. Um, there is a chest. Now we sort of it's there's a weird cut from the chest where they sort of zoom in on it and then zoom back out it out in a different area. And it's in another critic's room, uh, Horace Sprout. Uh, who I think it's Captain Mannering, right? Yes, it is the actor who played Captain Mannering from Dad's Army, yes. Yeah. Um, and he's got he's with his wife. Uh, I, I enjoyed their little um, dynamic with each other. Because um, they've got this chest in their room for some bizarre reason. And he can't move it. And it, uh, while they sleep, Lionheart emerges from the chest. And then we get possibly um, the best and maybe worst scene of the movie where um, Lionheart sort of injects a hypodermic needle into Sprout and his wife. And then he proceeds to cut his head off. Yep. Um, So he's got him under a sort of anaesthetic, both of them under an anaesthetic. And yeah, cuts his head off. You don't obviously see anything you do see some blood in terms of you know like gore and stuff like that it's it's not there but the suggestion of it and the sounds of it are really awful (laughs) it it's this moment when i was watching it thinking i can't think i've ever seen that before in a in, in a horror film um and i'm surprised because it's it stands out you know what i mean like this movie i would say you know if anything, it's got a lot of comedic elements. Um, it's not. It's not your traditional. It's not a scary movie, but this particular scene is, you know, stands out as being, mm. you know, mostly awful. Anyway, so the next day, the maid, the maid heads in, uh, goes into the room, and of course, heads will roll. And old Sprouty's head is uh, <laughs> rolls off his body basically. And then we cut to Devlin again, who wakes up to find. Sprout severed head on his milk bottles. Um, this is one of those moments where you go, how did the head get there? <laughs> uh, it, it was a prop. They, they left a prop head in uh, uh, Mannering's house. Oh, is that and what it was? They took the real head and put it on Perry's milk bottles. Oh, I, I didn't catch that. Uh, fair enough then. I love that 
the the police show up, um, and of course we have uh, Inspector Boot, who asks his sergeant to deal with the head, who then passes it on to the next policeman. That's quite good. His sergeant is such a good character. Yeah, yeah, very. Um, yeah, he's sort of a sort of subtly there, isn't he? <laughs> it's quite good. Yeah, yeah. Because this police, the, the inspector comes in and goes, "I think they are trying to kill you." It's like, well, yeah, clearly. Let's see. So we cut to another critic, uh, Trevor Dickman, and he is uh, sitting there. And then we get some sexy lady music, and a sexy lady shows up. Is that Diana Rigg? It is. Yes. Yeah, she's well made up in that. I couldn't tell that it was her because I was like going. Who actually is that? Um, it is, uh, but um, right. you're not meant to know that. <laughs> no, you're not meant to know that, and I didn't know that because she's wearing, <laughs> you know, a blonde blonde wig or whatever. And I was like, "Who is this person?" Hmm. She's obviously a bit flirty. Dickman's obviously a bit of a perv. A bit of a perv. <laughs> All right, fine. fine. He's a lot of yeah. a perv. <laughs> um, he's he's definitely seventies perv. So he's like, come and see his act. She says, come and see his act, um, which, of course, he does. Um, and they do The Merchant of Venice. <laughs> Dickman does yeah. a bit of act, act, acting, and he's br- mostly rubbish. The interesting thing is, uh, for people who know those Shakespeare plays, there isn't a murder in The Merchant of Venice. Uh, no, but they do say that they've re- rewritten it, don't they? They do say that they've rewritten... Mm. It, so, because um, there is a part in it about the pound of flesh, which I think in the play, well, from what I gathered from this, in the play, the man's lawyer sort of gets him off and he doesn't get it. Whereas in this case, yeah, this case, he does get his pound of flesh. So, yeah, he cuts his fucking heart out. <laughs> Again, despite... It's, it's still quite a violent scene and it's very nonchalant as well. These murders are very nonchalant. <laughs> Just standing there going, hmm, this is two ounces over. Yeah. Cut heart. He cuts a little bit off the heart, checks it away. Brilliant. Lovely. It was a pound exactly, was it not? A pound, no more, no less. This is two ounces over. Sixteen ounces exactly. Art thou content? I am content. So then we get so go back to Devlin and he's telling Boot that he thinks that Lionheart is the suspect and that the murders are based on Shakespeare's plays. Mm. I think no, he isn't doing that. Uh, He then tells a story about Lionheart not receiving the best actor award. We flash back to um, sort of post award ceremony back back whenever that is. Lionheart crashes a party. He tries to take the award. Take the award. the thing about this whole scene, it's so captivating. Again, mm. uh, Vincent Price just eats up the scene here. Him, him quoting Hamlet's speech is phenomenal. Oh, it is. He does the whole to be, to not to be thing. I think before that, actually, he comes to think that Edward, you know, tries to yes. stop him doing anything. But but after that, yeah, he does. He does the whole, the whole thing, the whole to be, to not to be speech um and again it's just so captivating to watch um and the music during it's really great mm. as well to be or not to be that is the question whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing emblem to die to sleep no more and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to tis a consummation devoutly to be wished to die sleep to sleep a chance to dream 
like I say, it, it draws you, it draws you in. Vincent Price all the way through this yeah. draws you in. I think without without him in that role, um, it wouldn't it wouldn't be anywhere near as ah. good a movie. And then he jumps from the building, which is a good scene actually. Well, well done, effects wise. Ah. Now let's see. Now definitely receives Dickman's heart in the mail, uh, which is of course the pound of flesh, which we said. Now we go to which it. The, the movie sort of ramps up the kills here, and we just they just keep skipping on to the next one. <laughs> so we get the next critic, Oliver Larding, at a wine tasting. He's obviously a bit of a pisshead. <laughs> or an old lush, is it? Basically. Um, in this one, we get a monologue from Richard III. Again, amazing. So they take Oliver Larding down into a wine cellar, and this set is amazing. A beautiful set. Candles everywhere. It just looks fantastic. And, of course, the other people at the wine tasting aren't actually real people. They're all his little homeless mates, but they're fantastic. Whenever they zoom in on all of them, they've got this sort of weird, vacant expression that's just amazing. Yeah, yeah the creditors is the meth drinkers in the credits. Right. Is that what they call the meth drinkers? Because if you look there, they're, they're drinking a, um, a very suspicious looking substance even during the wine so scene they're not drinking wine they're drinking meth yeah i got it i had it down as being turps but you're right it is like methylated spirit isn't it? i just called him the, called them his homeless mates all the way through his little homeless mates and then they uh, i missed that they drown larding in a in a in a barrel of wine yes um which is a fitting way to go i believe it's at this point where during the kills uh, Vincent Price starts uh, having some wonderful little one-liners after the kill. Yeah, he does. Um... Including such uh, wonderful things at this point of him going, hmm, I wonder if he'll travel yeah, well. it's a good one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Um, I think I wrote down some of the other ones, so uh, let's see. Right, Devlin visits Edwina again. These are weird scenes where, where nothing happens. Um, every time she go, he goes to visit her, nothing. She he goes up and she goes, "It's your dad," and she goes, "No, he's dead." And then we sort of move on. <laughs> <laughs> now let's see. Devlin goes to his fencing class, but oh dear, Lionheart is there. And skip ahead slightly because uh, they have a fencing fight, but in the middle of the fight, Lionheart explains how he survived. So he's rescued from the water by the sort of meth drinkers, as you said. His little homeless mate. His little homeless mate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Again, it's a really weird scene. Like it's almost like a sort of weird dreamlike scene. They sort of make him drink the meth, so uh, uh, what, whatever. Um, yeah. But he's sort of. It's sort of he sort of like rises from death in this, and the people, the meth drinkers around him, have got this sort of awe about them. Or, or for him, and it's such a weird scene, but but it, it stands out. So what I will go back to is they have this fencing fight, which um, I can say that scene is mid fencing fight, but the fencing fight is a delight, isn't it? Most of the fencing uh, had very few oh. stunt actors involved. Most of that fencing was actually oh, done did by really? himself. Oh, I I would oh. have said. I would have thought the opposite because you can't see the actors most of the time. So I assume that that was why. He, um, Vincent Price was um, a trained, uh, a trained fencer. Yeah. I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I might have to look it up. I think Errol Flynn was involved because Errol Flynn and Vincent Price worked together on a couple of projects. I didn't. I didn't see that. It's a. It's a great. It's a great fencing match. So it's a. It's a bit sort of funny at points as well, especially when they're on trampolines. And then I believe he does a monologue from The Tempest while slicing Devlin up a bit, but he doesn't kill him, not yet. Yes, because the the dual scene that they're reenacting is a, a reference to Romeo and Juliet. But yes, he does quote from The Tempest as well. Romeo and Juliet, yeah. Uh, yeah, Lionheart leaves Devlin alive. I actually really like <laughs> Devlin in this scene because... <laughs> He's just like, oh, God, stop monologuing. Just kill me now. <laughs> I'll get it over with then. Just so long as you don't make me have to listen to that demented rubbish of yours. 
Go on, kill me then. I'll kill you when I am ready. I love that even in even in this, that he still won't give him any recognition. He's just like, no, shut up. Just kill me now. I'm sick of this shit. So we skip to the police, and they actually seem to be on the case now. Uh, I think four or five deaths has got them sort of in the mood to solve something. The ineptitude of the London police of this film is hilarious. At, at some point, it's uh, at some points it's um, downright slapstick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> So we go on to the next murder. Oh, but it's not actually a murder. Um, we get a phone call to... I've only got him down as Saltry because I couldn't find what his first name was. So we'll call him... Yes. Uh, it is uh, Saltry's his surname. Uh, I can't remember his first name. No, it doesn't head. matter anyway. Uh, so what we see is a phone call to the, the man named Saltry about his wife saying oh you should check on her because she might be cheating on you and then Lionheart arrives at Saltry's house while Saltry is watching um but he's actually a bit of a he's well he's pretending to be a masseuse and Scottish um which is an absolutely delightful <laughs> character choice of him I love the way he's doing it the husband barges in and she's really moaning like you know she you're getting a massage dude it's it's not worth it <laughs> Um, anyway, Sultry comes home and he hears the moaning, breaks into the bedroom, and he proceeds to murder his own wife after um, Lionheart's like, oh, she's got at least 10 lovers, you know. But yeah, he murders his own <laughs> wife by putting a pillow over her head. And his final quote being, down, strumpet, which I thought was really weird. Um, <laughs> the, the scene that follows that immediately afterwards of Vincent Price exiting and going, um, excuse me, officer, I believe Mr. Mr. Saltry is murdering his wife. Oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I, I've written that down, the way the, the policeman just, he just goes, oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> Dude. Officer, if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Saltry is murdering his wife. Oh, thank you, sir. It gets me every time. Yeah, no, it was one of my favourite bits. I wrote that down too. Yeah. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it turns out that this time it's not a murder, This, but this guy's obviously off to prison for the rest of his life. So, you know, it's a life sentence regardless. Mm -hmm. Now, surely the police can stop the rest of them being killed now. Um, we know that they're definitely aiming for all these people. All they have to do is keep them safe, but they can't. They can't do it. <laughs> um, so we go on to the next murder, who is Miss Moon. Now, I think the, I should have written her name down, but I think the lady who plays Miss Moon in this ended, ended up being the wife of um, Vincent Bryce. Yes, they, they end up in a romance, and I can't remember if it was his second wife or his third. But, um, yeah. But yes, they ended up getting married after. Which, was Which nice. is uh, very interesting, considering that you're murdering your future wife on the set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, she goes for a haircut, and Lionheart this time is playing a character called Butch, <laughs> who's got like a goatee and an afro, and it's just fantastic. Sort of, you know, I guess it was okay for the time, but very sort of stereotypical camp yeah, person. Oh, it's absolutely um, amazing. <laughs> He's brilliant. She's accompanied by the most rubbish policeman in the world who I guess doesn't want to watch her getting a, his hair cut, so he sits upstairs away from it all, despite the fact that he knows people are trying to kill And you've got Vincent Price flirting <laughs> with him as well. <laughs> I think that was the idea, though, wasn't it? To keep him uncomfortable <laughs> and keep him up there, but still. Oh. He sort of is tying Miss Moon to a chair and... <laughs> Her reaction to being tied to a chair is not, what the hell are you doing? She goes, you know, I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, I wish like, you'd let me seriously. Amp with your hair. I'm thinking flame with ash highlights. Yeah. Yes, it's very good. He does a little bit of Henry VI part one, uh, and they basically electrocute and burn Miss Mooney with those hairdryer thingies that you don't see anymore. You don't see those. The, the sort of 
I don't really know how to explain. It's like a droid, isn't it? And it sits over your head. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is like a stand-up hairdryer. Um, policeman's still rubbish, despite the fact that the lights are going on and off. He doesn't even investigate until he smells smoke coming upstairs. And of course, she is dead. <laughs> uh, I uh, the did make up here, but I also think that they put a bit different actor as far as the dead body was concerned. It seemed like the same person. Possibly. So, oh, back to Edwina again. Uh, this time she says, my dad is alive. Um, I'm not telling you where he is, though. But I am going to go meet him. And she, a devil in office to go, and she says yes, but um, that's not yet. So, we go to the next murder, which is Meredith. Meredith. Meridrew? Meridrew. Yes. Who was the dog man from before? <laughs> before this, though, we sort of cut to a man in a mask who is wearing Vincent Price's face. Yeah. Um, it's actually a really great mask because for a moment you go, what the heck? Why does he look like that? I'm like, oh, I got <laughs> It's a really great mask. Um, so now the police have staked out both uh, critics' houses. So I guess that would be Devlin and Meredith and Meredrew. That's the only two that uh, Yeah. Uh, a taxi drives by with uh, Lion, obviously the guy wearing Lionheart's mask. Um, and the police are ridiculous here. They keep bumping into each other. And this is a bit slapstick and a bit stupid. <laughs> um but anyway, they every single one of them drives away from the scene. So, of course, this is Lionheart's chance to kill Meridrew, who is dropped off by a secure car. Um, they've been around a long time, old secure yeah. car. <laughs> and and it, it's, it's the music yeah. that accompanies him, and he's in this great, big, loud pink suit. <laughs> Yeah, he's um, he's actually he's actually fascinating to watch. Really well acted for such a small period of time. Like um, they sort of do this thing where they pretend to do a TV show, and he's like, "Oh, I was wondered what it'd be like to be on this show, and now I'm here. Don't know what to say." And it's just so like it's really good. He's really great. Um, but he was the man who had two dogs. Um, and we'll sort of skip along to the fact that basically uh, Lionheart makes him eat a pie made of his two dogs. <laughs> I wonder where my babies have got to. My dog is, you know. I always think of them as my babies. <laughs> of course you do, monsieur. And so do we. <laughs> that is part of your surprise. All the same, I wish they were here to share this with me. <laughs> Why, there they are, both baked in that pie. Um... Which, of course, is an awful thing to do to anybody. Oh, yeah. But then they force-feed him um, the remainder of the pie through a sort of funnel, which kills him. Again, really awful way to die. Really gross death. Mm. This is actually... One day I'm going to I've got, have to answer my own questions. And I think there might be one of these that's this best kill. <laughs> um, I will say that, yeah, this, this is definitely up in my top list of kills. Being yeah, it's awful. Um, and I think during this one, he it's um, the play is Titus Andronicus. Titus Andronicus, yes. Andronicus, sorry. I think. Meanwhile, uh, fake Lionheart crashes the taxi and is caught. Oh, your one liner in this one is that. Um, a pity. I didn't think he had the stomach for it. <laughs> I guess he didn't have the stomach for it. Yeah. Uh so let's see. We move on to the next thing. Um, it's moving at a pace. It is moving at a pace. So uh, we see Devlin in his car. He's got the loudest homing device in the world in his car. <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> like, hmm, subtle. Um, there's also a policeman in his boot who is brilliant. I can't even. I can't even do him credit. This will be. This will be one of those times where I have to put in a a um, sound clip of him because it was, it's just brilliant. Uh, um, it's got this weird foreign accent. Receiving you, affording the brass, 
Is my signal clear? It appears to be a train. Well, we do get to that bit. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, Edward, Ed, Edwina rocks up um, and Devin, Devlin's like, look, honestly, uh, to be honest with you, I've got a homing thing in the car. I told you I wouldn't. And she says, let me drive. But then he gets clonked on the head and Edwina sh- steals his car. The policeman talks to the man in the boot and he's going, he's going, um, uh, I think we're near a train. That's T-R-A. Yeah. And then, of course, the car gets hit by a train and it's a uh, well, really good sound effect coming over a walkie-talkie. <laughs> and we cut to a tied-up Devlin. Um, Lionheart, at this point, is going, give me your award. And he goes, no, I'm not going to give you it. They set him up in an eye knife trap. So it's like two uh, two knives headed towards his eye as on like a trap. Mm-hmm. It's um give Sora a run for his money, that mm. one. Um, so it's it's attached to a sandbag, which of course when the sandbag runs out of sand, it'll stab old Devlin in his eyes. Um now it turns out that Lionheart's little beardy mate is his daughter. Lionheart's like Honestly, you really should give me the award. <laughs> Devlin still goes, no, not going to do it. <laughs> Again, I really like, I like him. <laughs> I like him for this thing where he's going, I don't give a shit if you kill me. You're not getting, you're not getting that award. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the sandbag gets slightly trapped along the way, so he doesn't, um, he doesn't yet get stabbed in his eye. The police show up. Lionheart starts a fire. Um, it seems like the homeless peeps uh, don't like the fire. They're not a big fan of the fire. And they kill his daughter. Well, they sort of push her over and she hits her head. While his daughter is dying, uh, Lionheart is quoting King Lear. Mm-hmm. And then Lionheart runs from the police. And I think he says the words howl. I've, I've written it down. I think he goes, howl, howl. Yes. Which is a delight. <laughs> um, Devlin gets rescued. And Lionheart scales the building. Uh, which is brilliant. He scales the building partly with Edwina and then later on without it. Uh, he's just, he's doing a really good speech um, and then he gets blown off the roof um, by obviously like backdraft or whatever. Mm-hmm. The last lines of this are obviously Devlin who's, um, you know, here, as always, he was, he was overacting, mm-hmm. um, but he did know how to make an exit. And the inspector boot gives him, like, dude, you guys just die here. Have some. <laughs> Where's those lines from King Lear? Yeah. Yes, it was a fascinating performance. But of course, he was madly overacting as usual. But you must admit, he did know how to make an exit. He just swans off as well, doesn't he? Just definitely just like, right, bye, I'm out of here. I've got shit to do. Right, yeah, so that takes us to the end of the movie. Um, like, it, uh, uh, So the final thoughts for this movie are, like I say, I'd never heard of it. It is fantastic. Vincent Price makes the film. Uh, oh, yeah. W- without, without him, I don't know that it is as good. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I have a... The rating system here, if you haven't listened, is... We literally have two ratings, which is either it's a creative psychopath or it's shit. <laughs> um, and I think in this particular case, I think we're going to have, uh, well, I'll give it a creative psychopath. And presumably since you chose it, that would be your rating. Of too. course. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's an excellent movie. Um, so, yeah, I would absolutely recommend anybody to go see that. Um Normally, I would go to the Facebook group, but I don't think anyone else had seen it, so uh, there was no comments on that. Oh, never mind. No, but at least, at least if people listen to this, they may go see it. Indeed. Right, so that is the filling in this here horror sandwich. So all we need to do is put the final slice of bread in with these last two questions, which is, you may have already mentioned this at the beginning, but you might have a different one, is what is a scary moment for a non-horror movie that you remember? Right. Not necessarily a movie for such, but you remember the old Batman animated series back in 1992? Of course. Right. Two Faces introduction. Two right. Faces introduction, and you've got the uh, 
with a lightning strike and the flash of his one yellow eye and scarred face. Right. I must have I don't remember it off the top of my head, but um, uh, scary. It is quite scary. That show was scary. Well, not scary, but it was certainly, uh, it certainly didn't play to kids, if no. you know what I mean. It was a kid's show, but they weren't, they weren't, they weren't shy about um, having more adult themes. Yeah, they were not. So the last uh, question is, if you could make a non-horror movie a horror movie, what would you choose? I'd like to see a horror movie done with Muppets. <laughs> that would be good. Even if they... Specifically the Muppets. Yeah, specifically the Muppets. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, um, they, they could take any horror movie and just replace the entire cast apart from one person with Muppets, and it would just be brilliant. Yeah, I must admit, I've always thought that The Silence of the Lambs would work really well with Muppets. Would you keep Campbell Lecter as the human? Sorry? Would you, keep, uh, would you keep Anthony Hopkins as the human? No, I don't think I would. Um, so I think... I really feel like Kermit would be a good Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> or maybe Fuzzy Bear. Or Gonzo. No, no, Gonzo would have to be Buffalo Bill. Of course, yeah. I can't think who which character in that I would add as the human. I suppose Clarice, yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably have to be Clarice. <laughs> no, you're right. That would be great. Uh, seeing that would be fantastic. <laughs> well... Uh, that brings us to, to the end of the podcast then. Um, so the only thing that I need to ask you is, do you have anything that you want to plug? Do you have a YouTube or anything like that you want people to see? Well, um, I, I used to have a YouTube a long time ago, but uh, currently I messed about a little bit on TikTok. Officer, if uh, I'm not mistaken, right, uh, Mr. Salter is murdering his wife. That's right, yeah, the true phantasm. Uh, on TikTok. Right. Uh, well, I will certainly put that in the show notes so people can look that up. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you for the opportunity of being on your podcast. No, you're welcome. Um, it's always it's always nice to have people on here, and um, I've really, I really am pleased that you were able to bring me a film I hadn't seen, and that was great, easy to watch a couple of times, um, which is what I usually try to do. So yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you everyone for listening. As always, join the Facebook group. Um, each week I post on there what movie I'm doing and you can get yourself a, a mention on the podcast just by commenting on whatever film it is that I'm doing. If you want to be on the podcast, creativepsychopathspod at gmail.com. And so the last thing to say is, bye. See you later.